Well, we have a lot of themes going on today. Um, as Jack read and as we read the names before, uh, this, is, this is All Saints Sunday. And I think our text ties this in actually really well, that the saints who have gone before us are a very important part of our stories. They were these living stones and they continue to live on in the kingdom of God. They were these living stones that painted for us a picture of how to live. And each stone told a story of the gospel in their lives. And we can look back on those stories and those stones then still speak to us. Today, our sermon is about how to be living stones. And, well, why, I guess. Um, and we'll, we'll find all that out. We're not going to read both uh, chapters of 1 Peter today. We're just going to do 1 Peter 2. So if you could turn to pages 1201 on your pew Bibles, uh, that is where we'll begin today. Okay. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will 
that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God must submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are our rock and our foundation. God, speak to us today. Let your Holy Spirit um, be known to us today as we learn and as we um, interpret and understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's a very, very basic summary of what we just read. And Nicole, uh, that was a timely uh, announcement of you today because this passage is talking to a people who are struggling and suffering deeply for Christ. And it applies to us today, whether we are being actively persecuted right now or not. It applies to us in all situations. That when it is hard, we are still called to holiness. And when everything is falling apart around us, we're still called to holiness. And when people are persecuting us for being holy, we're still called to holiness. And so praying for the persecuted church, that's a good word. And that's something we should always remember to be doing. This is what it means to be living stones for us. To to be living stones means that we proclaim the message. We bring glory to God. And it doesn't sound so hard. (laughs) But then if you add that, that pain of persecution, or if you add the trials of everyday life, it's a lot harder than it seems. And so this is where we find ourselves today. And first and foremost, 
is the summary of way, way back at the beginning, that God is the foundation of everything. God is the foundation of the world. God was here before the world was created. God is the world's foundation. And God is wholly righteous. So we are called as a people of God to be set apart for God and to be living stones and proclaim his glory in that. That is, that is what we have to do. That's the end goal. And all the stuff that comes now is going to be the in-between. So as I was reading this um, passage, I think a lot of times I like to delve into history, and I think a lot of times I like to look into word studies, and I, I like to do things that way. Uh, but this time, I think God was speaking to me in a different way. And so I was struck by the imagery of stones. And I didn't realize, or I, I suppose I did, but I never took the time to think about how much stone and rock is brought up as symbolism in the Bible. And I was kind of, I really enjoyed that. So I'm going to bring you down my rabbit trail with me. Um, the very first verse that popped into my mind after I read this passage was, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Rocks and salvation and foundation are themes that you're going to want to pay attention to because they go hand in hand. First, there's the foundation of God's righteousness, and then there's the need for salvation because we can't fully live into this foundation. Even though foundations are meant to keep us firm and grounded and steadied, we can't fully live into this foundation of God's righteousness because we are sinful and broken people. So we also need God's salvation. And so these come up over and over again. Um, and also when I first read this passage, I, I thought, how hard can it be to be a rock? <laughs> they don't do anything. Uh, no, really, they just sit there. So I remember before we were allowed to get a dog as children, uh, my mom jokingly told us that we had to get a pet rock first. And we thought she was kidding. <laughs> we, we didn't realize it was a real thing. Uh, but my mom grew up in the middle of nowhere in the 70s. She actually grew up even more nowhere than the middle of nowhere. You've never heard of where she grew up, and I promise you that. Um, and it was in the 70s. And apparently in the 70s, there was a thing called pet rocks. And apparently when you live in the middle of nowhere, you think that's a good idea. So... Before we were allowed to get a dog, my mom told us about these pet rocks, and we thought she was joking. But then as we grew up, we realized that apparently in the 70s, this was a thing. Um, and to my great joy, when I started here two years ago, I found this little guy in one of our Sunday school classrooms. Some of you recognize this. Lauren, do you recognize this? Yeah, he's been sitting in the fourth and fifth grade Sunday school classroom for two years on the same shelf in the same spot. He never moves. Actually, this morning we named her Roxanne, so I guess she's a she now. But never has she moved or done anything. She just sits there. And yet she's still amusing, so we keep her. I don't know why. But how hard is it to be a rock? We've never fed her. 
We've never given her water. She's just sat there, but she never complains. And so this is what I'm thinking. When Jesus, when, when Peter commands us to be living rocks for Christ, I think to myself, wow, that has got to be the easiest commandment in the Bible. Because a rock just sits there and does nothing. It just looks like a rock all day. Our job today is to be a rock. But not just any rock. Peter says we are a rock that is going to be used in a house of God. So imagine this church just made up of rocks. Well, it's made up of bricks. So we can use those interchangeably. Imagine being one of the bricks here in Foothill Covenant Church. You are a specially formed rock. God has already made you to fit exactly in whatever place he wants you to fit in. So if you are a rock at, well, there are no corners uh, in this building. Uh, (laughs) If you are a rock that needs to be smaller for some reason, God's already shaped you to be just so. All you have to do is sit there and be a rock in this house of God. How easy does that sound? So I was thinking this is going to be really a great story. Um, And I was thinking there has to be a job that rocks do. But more specifically, we're called to be living rocks. Living rocks would point their glory to God because God is the foundation of life. So we want, as living rocks, our job just got harder than a regular rock. Uh, As living rocks, we have to point all glory to God, who is the foundation and giver of life. Okay, let's look at scripture and see what scripture says about rocks. So we we think back to Habakkuk uh, 2, and Habakkuk 2 talks about the injustice and how the very rocks of the building are crying out against the injustice of the people. Those sound like living rocks to me. The very rocks are crying out. This rock doesn't even have a mouth. Um, But the very rocks are crying out. We're just going to let that sit. And then we're going to move to Luke. And Luke, Jesus, proclaims himself as the stone that the builders have rejected, but he also uses another rock reference. And his, his disciples, they were making a huge, chaotic din. They were just being joyful and, well, honestly obnoxious with their praise. They were praising Jesus obnoxiously, and that is a beautiful thought to me. Praising Jesus, obnoxiously making a ruckus, and people were offended, and they said, Jesus, tell your disciples to shh. (laughs) They're too loud. They're, no, just tell them to stop. And Jesus said, oh, but if I told my disciples to stop praising me, the very rocks would cry out in praise. Two different rocks both crying out. In Habakkuk, crying out in pain against injustice, and in Luke, crying out in joy and praise of the living God. Living stones. 
But how do stones do that? Let's go back farther. The Israelites used stones. When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, they were wandering in the desert and they were thirsty, not just a little. They were dying. They were dehydrated. They didn't trust God to to provide at this point. They were not thrilled with him. It's an understatement. They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt because they were so thirsty, they knew they were going to die otherwise. And then there was a rock. And God led Moses to the rock. And when he directed Moses to strike it, fresh, cool, clean, drinkable, life-giving water poured out of it. That rock was nothing more than a rock, but it was used for God's glory, and it gave life because God wanted it to give life. It was a living stone, but it was nothing more than a rock. How about this? The Israelites, after their time in the desert, when they moved into the promised land, God directed them to take stones from the middle of the Jordan River and to set them on the dry land. Why did he do that? They were just stones. And so one of each of the 12 tribes brought a stone onto dry land and they just kind of left them there. They left a pile of stones there. But these stones are living stones. Why? Because they told a story. God demanded it. He said, this way, when your children pass by this pile of rocks and wonder why is this pile of rocks sitting here, you get to tell the story. You can tell the story of how I delivered you from slavery in Egypt, how I provided for you in the desert, and how I brought you to the promised land. It is a story for God's glory. All they are is rocks doing their boring rock thing until they were used to tell God's story. They were used for God's glory. Altars were made of rock, used for God's glory. All they did was sit there where they were placed, but they told the story of God. Leviticus, and we're going to get back to this later, so keep this in mind. Leviticus and other places talk about when to reject stones. Like when they show signs of mildew or imperfection that could contaminate other stones or even cause structural harm. A stone could be contaminating. That is not a living stone. Are are these some examples of what to do and what not to do as we're investigating how to be a living stone? Here's a big hint. And this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I was only looking up the word stone. Two stones were used to, to chisel the Ten Commandments. God is our foundation. God, who is timeless, who laid the foundations of the earth, is our foundation chronologically. But God is also our foundation 
in life, spiritually. He has given us an example to be like him, but God is wholly righteous. God is set apart. And so God called his people Israel and said, you be set apart for me. I'll be your foundation. And the people Israel kind of probably had an idea of what to do. But when these Ten Commandments came, that was their, that was their instruction manual. That was a real foundation for them. So these Ten Commandments written on stone, these stones are living stones. And why? Because they tell us how to live into God's foundation. They were our first real hint. So these stones, of all the stones in the Bible, these Ten Commandments, I think, are really the first truly living stones because they give us an idea of how to live into God's righteousness. And that is what it means to be a living stone. It means to glorify God. Glorify God, live into God's righteousness. Here's a hint. Live by these Ten Commandments. That's your foundation. And that is a little bit harder than Roxanne's life. Roxanne just has to sit there. We have to follow the Ten Commandments and the 600-plus other commands that are in the Book of the Law. That is our foundation, and it's a really good, helpful foundation to have. It shows us what's right and what's wrong and how to do it, but that doesn't mean we can. (laughs) Suddenly, our foundation feels a little unattainable. And yes, God is still our foundation. He's still supporting us. He still wants us to live a righteous life, but we we can't. And so the Israelites found themselves waiting for the Messiah, that promised king who could set them on the right path, who could say, this is how we do it. This is how we're living stones. I'm going to show you how to live for God. We will be living stones together, and we will proclaim God's glory. We will be a house for the Lord together, maybe the temple. We will be a house for the Lord as living stones, each of us a part of it, pointing to God as our foundation. And so the Israelites began to look forward to their Messiah. And really fun uh, prophecies started popping up. So um, the prophet Isaiah declared... He will be a holy place for Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble. Oh, that's not what they wanted to hear. He will be a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. That's not what they were hoping for. Yes, they want a rock. They want to know how to how to be a living stone on this foundation for God and point people to God's glory. And this doesn't sound promising. He will be a rock that makes you fall. And then the Psalms accused the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. So what is this cornerstone? This cornerstone is a key piece of the building. It's in the corner, obviously. And it's the first stone laid. It's a strong stone, and it keeps everything else in alignment. 
Every other stone that is laid is laid in relation to the cornerstone. Every other stone that is laid must be aligned with the cornerstone. Otherwise, the structure is not going to be sound. Otherwise, your building is going to be a wreck. You must be aligned with the cornerstone. So, the stone that the builders rejected has been has become the cornerstone. Now, what were those stones that builders rejected? Sometimes, and in the case of of Leviticus, uh, sometimes those cornerstones were infested with mildew. Or the stones that were rejected were infested with mildew. If there was one single stone infested with mildew, what do you think happened to that stone? You had to take it out. If that stone had a spot of mildew, it was going to spread to the rest of the building. It was going to make that building unusable. They didn't have bleach. We can, we can just Clorox that away. They didn't. That was going to be eventually deadly. It was going to cause illness. They had to get rid of it. If it had mildew, it was gone. So they would even have to deconstruct the building in order to remove that stone. That stone spread illness and disease. They didn't want that stone in there. When Jesus Christ came, Jesus was seen as the mildew stone that was going to spread infectious, diseased ideas. And so he was rejected. They didn't want him challenging their status quo. They didn't want his ideas to change their well, what they considered a well way of life. They didn't want that. They wanted to continue living as they were living, meanwhile oppressing others, meanwhile rejecting the very foundation of God's law. And so they rejected what they thought were infectious ideas, but that became the cornerstone. Those ideas were meant to spread because the cornerstone of Christ was actually the embodiment of these laws. We needed Jesus to show us how to properly live these laws. Remember, we couldn't. God's righteous laws, he gave them to us so that we would know how to live, but we just couldn't understand it. We needed someone to show us the way, and the Messiah did. He was the cornerstone who said, oh, when God said don't murder, he actually meant don't be angry. Oh, when God created the Sabbath, he actually created it for your benefit. Jesus challenged these ideas, but in doing so, he was the foundation that these laws were. He was the law, and he brought it to the people to be accessible. And further, Jesus became the foundation in a whole other way. Uh, Peter talks about his precious blood. The precious blood of the Messiah is precious because fully God and fully man, Jesus came to live a perfect life and die for our sins. He was the foundation because he showed us how to live fully into the Ten Commandments in the law, 
and he was the foundation because he was our salvation that helped us to do so. So we've got our cornerstone, we've got our foundation, and who wouldn't want to live into that? Who wouldn't want to be, bring glory to, to God, our foundation, and our rock, and to Christ, our cornerstone and salvation? We want to bring glory to that. Now the only problem is how we're stones in this building, stones in this house of God. Is our job to merely sit there? Like Roxanne, who's actually literally just been sitting in the church for two years. Our job is to be a living stone for Christ. The very first verse, the very first verse of our chapter tells us how. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Oh, and then the 11th and 12th verses tell us how. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Oh, that's how we're living stones. That's not easy. Abstain from all sinful desire. That's all we have to do. All we have to do is align ourselves to the cornerstone and be there. Being a rock is hard because we think, oh, I want to glorify God, so I'm going to go out and shout it from the mountaintops. Oh, I want to glorify God, so I'm going to do a grand, excessive deed. I want to glorify God, so I'm going to do this big thing or say this big thing. But really, we're called to align ourselves with Christ. And that's a hard thing to do. Some of these living stones, all they have to do is do what Christ wants them to. Some of these living stones don't have to shout and proclaim, but it's harder to align yourself with Christ perfectly. I think that's, I think that when I started this, I thought, well, it's going to be easy to be a stone. But a living stone, a living stone has a big job. And on this communion Sunday, when we talked about that which you have done and that which you have left undone, we start there. So it may seem like a big job to completely rid yourselves of all slander, all hypocrisy, envy, malice, and deceit. It may be a big job to rid yourselves of all sinful desires. So we start with what God has already laid on your heart. You align yourself little by little. Otherwise, you can proclaim and preach and shout it from the mountaintops until you are blue in the face and you have no voice left but that may very well just cause people to stumble 
Rocks cause people to stumble unless they are aligned properly with the cornerstone. So don't go shouting and proclaiming until you know that you are on this road to alignment with the cornerstone. You know that your desires line up with Christ's desires. That's a tall order. But I think it's an order that really rocks.